All right. Good morning, everybody. We can open our Bibles or turn on your Bibles and navigate to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Here at the chapel, we do consider the Bible to be the word of God, God's word to us, to us humans. It's what we need to know about him, what is right and wrong, and uh, ultimately about the salvation that we can have through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, There's four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that talk specifically about Jesus's life while he was here on the earth. And we're looking at Matthew. We've gone through 25 chapters of that already, uh, quite a bit. We've looked at what he's done there, uh, about his life, about what he taught, who he is, and just a second here. Okay, Uh, and what he's done. And we're going to take a close look today at our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to get a little peek into his life that really, I don't know, that really is anywhere else in the Bible. It's an amazing thing we're going to see. We're going to learn about Jesus Christ and who he was and what he went through today. The depth of emotion and feeling and sorrow and and just everything all together that we're going to see in his life. Uh, really can help us understand who he is and ultimately uh, what he did for us. Uh, So let's get right to it. Thank you, Tim, for praying. Amen to that. And uh, let's get to Matthew chapter 26. We're starting in verse 31. Actually, uh, let me say before this, uh, what we're going to look at here is something that happened on a Thursday night. And uh, it was a week, a very special week in Jesus's life. That Monday of this week uh, was the triumphal entry where Jesus entered to a large crowd into Jerusalem and uh, things were looking good at that point in time. Tuesday, he cleared the temple. Uh, The money changers and the people who were uh, selling things in the temple shouldn't be. He cleared them out in a powerful way. Wednesday, he taught in the temple. Uh, And remember, this was going to be a Passover time soon. So many people were in Jerusalem at the time. He taught in the temple and he confronted the leaders uh, about who they were and talked to the the people about the leaders as well on Wednesday. And then that led also on Wednesday to the Olivet Discourse, which we spent several weeks going through uh, Matthew 24 and 25 about that here. And that leads us to Thursday, where uh, he would have the Passover meal in an upper room with his disciples. He would wash their feet. He would institute our communion service, uh, remembering him with the bread and the wine. Uh, uh, Eventually, Judas would be sent out to go uh, do what he was going to do. Jesus and the disciples would sing a hymn together, and then they would go out. And that's where we pick up here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. It says, Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. Well, how's that? Is that a great way to start a sermon here? Great way to start a talk. Hey, guys, by the way, you're all going to fall away tonight because of me, is what Jesus says to them. All of you, he's making a prophecy here, all of you will fall away. And he's speaking, who's he speaking to? Are these not his closest friends? Uh, his uh, 
confidants, his, uh, you know, whatever you want to call them, his buddies, his pals, uh, the one he, he uh, is really looking to, to to spread the word, you all will fall away tonight because of me this very night. And he goes on, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. That is actually a prophecy written by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 13, written over 500 years earlier. 500 years. In 520 B.C. is when Zechariah wrote that. Uh, Over 500 years earlier, there was something written. And now he's saying, Jesus is saying, this moment in time, tonight, that will be fulfilled. And how will it be fulfilled? By all of you deserting me. Uh, You are fulfilling prophecy tonight by what you're about to do. You're all going to run away. Amazing. God's plan. Uh, The prophets wrote down what was going to happen, and things are in motion, especially this week in Jesus' life. And uh, things are going to get intense here more and more. And the prophecies written in the Old Testament, really the whole fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, becoming fulfilled this very night. And how does it start? With all the disciples falling away. Verse 32. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. This whole passage we're looking at today, it really has a lot of sorrow, a lot of grief. To understand it, we really need to be thinking in those terms. But there's a little bit of light here. This one verse right here. Jesus just says out of nowhere, amidst all the grief and stuff we're going to talk about here today. He says... Verse 32, after I have been raised, he just throws that in there. You're all going to fall away. Uh, The whole plan of salvation through me dying on a cross is going to happen soon. The sorrow and all the things that go with that are happening soon. I'm going to die. But just so you know, after I've been raised, he says it just like matter of factly. (laughs) After I've been raised. uh, Was there any doubt in Jesus' mind that he would be raised from the dead? that the Father would raise him up. Uh, There was no doubt. He knew that was going to happen. That's important to remember as we we go through what he's about to say and do in a little bit. But there was no doubt. He would be raised from the dead, and he's already making plans for when he's raised from the dead. I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So, okay, guys, you know, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be raised again. I'm going to go to Galilee. Why don't you guys meet up with me there after I raise from the dead? Uh, I will go ahead of you. So the idea of going ahead means they're going to come also. They'll meet up in Galilee. Jesus had plans. He knew he would be raised from the dead. Also, Jesus knew all of his close friends would desert him this night. In his darkest hour, in his most trying time, they're going to desert him. You know, if your friends deserted you when it counted the most, would you at that moment make plans to meet up with them later on? Hey, let's go hang out later. <laughs> Jesus did. He, he wasn't giving up on them. Uh, he knew that this had to happen, and he was making plans to meet up with them again. And, uh, and they would be together again, and he had plans for after that. <clears throat> so verse 32 tells us that. Verse 33, but Peter. Now, we can always count on Peter to do something interesting, right? Say or do something interesting on this passage is definitely no exception here uh peter says even though all may fall away because of you i will never fall away 
What had Jesus just said to Peter and the other guys? He said, you will fall away. And what does Peter say? No, Jesus, no, you don't understand. It's me, Peter. I'm not going to fall away. And do you see what he says here? Uh, Not only is he telling Jesus that you're wrong, but he's also saying these guys over here, yeah, they might fall away. You know them. Me, no. I'll be the one that's by your side all the way. I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night. Do you see that's the second time he said this night? This is a special night, wasn't it? Uh, Not a fun night, uh, but a special night. And uh, they would all fall away. This night, you will deny me three times. You know, it was interesting in studying this. I didn't realize this is the second time Jesus told Peter this. He told him back in John 13. He had already told him that he would deny him that night. And then he told the whole crowd, the whole group, again, that you, would, you, would, you will all flee from me. And then he tells Peter that you will deny me three times. He's actually already told Peter this before. Uh, you will deny me three times. And we know the story eventually that would happen. Uh, many of you already know. Uh, that that would happen. Peter would eventually deny him uh, three times and a rooster would crow exactly as Jesus uh, foretold here. But what does Peter answer? Peter says to him, you're right, Jesus, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Is that what he said? No. Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Peter tells them again, Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus, how many times do I have to tell you, Jesus, you're wrong? Don't you get it? I would never deny you. Even if I had to die with you, I would be by your side and we would die together. Wow. Uh, And just in a little bit, he's going to be denying him three times. And he would not be there when Jesus died next to his side. What do we learn from this? Well, Peter... Uh, He does do some things that were outright wrong here. He contradicted Jesus. Jesus said, you're going to deny me. And Jesus and Peter said, no, not a smart thing to do, is it? Uh, We probably shouldn't do that. But when God says to do something or he says something's going to happen and we tell him, no, uh, no, it's no, it's it's going to happen the way he said. Uh, We don't want to contradict him. He claimed that he was better than others, that he was better than the other disciples. Uh, was that a good thing to do? No, uh, it wasn't. Uh, when we uh, claim that we're better than the people around us, uh, God, you know, those people, uh, I'm so much better than them. That's not a good thing. Uh, we're all sinners, and we need to admit that, and we need to rely on his strength. Uh, and Peter was relying on his own strength. He didn't really understand his own heart and his own strength in a time of temptation, did he? Uh, and now that I've said that and pointed out that I think it was wrong for him to say those things, before we uh, talk bad about all the disciples here, and they're not going to do great things this night, uh, the more I think about this, the more I think that we probably all make these same mistakes ourselves. Uh, have you ever contradicted what Jesus said? I'll admit it's hard to imagine looking into his, Jesus' eyes and him telling me something and me telling him, no, you're wrong. Uh, Peter did do that, but when you do something you know is wrong, 
are you not doing the same thing? Uh, looking into God's eyes and saying, no, you're wrong. My way is better. Uh, and then doing that. Uh, we do that, don't we? Uh, probably, maybe, a lot. <clears throat> We've done the same thing. Claiming that we're better than others. Uh, does that thought sneak into your head? I'm so much better than them. Uh, God, you know I'm pretty awesome here. Uh, I wouldn't deny you. Well, that's not really true. Uh, <clears throat> we probably do the same thing. Trusting in our own strength, uh, we probably do that as well. And maybe we're trying to do good things. I'm going to go serve the Lord. I'm really going to do this great thing. It's going to be awesome. And God's going to be so pleased when he sees how great I am at doing this. You know, I'm going to just do so good here. Uh, well, we can have the very best of intentions. And honestly, I think Peter and the disciples did here have good intentions. I think they really meant it when they said it. Uh, but when it comes right down to it, we need to rely on God's strength. Uh, our own hearts can deceive us. Our own strength is frail. Uh, our spirit may be willing, but our flesh is often weak. So we need to rely on God for everything, for all of our strength and everything. So what do we learn there? Don't contradict God. Don't claim that you're better than others. Uh, try to rely on his strength and not your own. Is there something in what Peter and the disciples said that might be pleasing to God? I think so. I think God is pleased when people want to serve him wholeheartedly. I want to give my whole life to you, Lord. That's a good thing. Uh, that's great. But we do need to, to know that we need to rely on his strength to be able to actually accomplish that also. All right. <clears throat> All the disciples said the same thing to you. That's a new thing. I, I didn't really notice that before. Uh, I, I always thought it was just Peter. It says all the disciples were saying the same thing here. Verse 36, Then Jesus came with him to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, While I go sit here, while I go over there and pray. Gethsemane, this is a favorite spot, a favorite garden that they went to quite a bit. The word Gethsemane actually means olive press. So there were olive trees there, there were olives, and it would be a place where they pressed olives. A place also where Jesus, uh, you could consider he was being pressed here as well. He said to his disciples, sit here. I'm going to go over there and pray. He wanted to pray, but he wanted to pray specifically just him and the Father. So he told them to sit in a place. Verse 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. That would be James and John. And he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Is it amazing that Jesus, God in the flesh, could even say those words? His soul deeply grieved to the point of death. What does that even mean? He was so grieved in his soul, and that must have been affecting his body too, that he was so grieved to a point where every part of him was hurting and, and moaning, and, and if it got any worse, he would die. You know, when I read this, I think, well, it just sounds like exaggeration, you know, to the point of death. Maybe we say that a lot, I'm about to die because I'm hungry or something like that. We exaggerate. I don't think Jesus exaggerates. I think he really meant if this gets any worse, I'm going to die here in the garden. And that would actually be bad because he's supposed to die on a cross uh, to fulfill the prophecies. I am deeply grieved to the point 
of death. How can you be so deeply grieved? I don't know. I honestly don't know how you can be that grieved. What was it that was bothering him so much? Uh, Was it the fact that everyone was going to desert him in just a few minutes? Uh, The fact that he was going to go through physical torture. He was going to be beaten in a horrible way. And then then nails going through his hands and his feet and hung on a cross in a way that was meant to cause pain uh, in a horrible way. This was God, Jesus. He He hadn't felt that before. That probably bothered him too. Maybe it was all the sins of the world placed on him. Maybe it was the fact that the one who knew no sin, he didn't even know what sin felt like because he knew no sin was going to become sin for us. What would that be like? You know, I don't think there's any way we could even really understand what he was going through here. I read a couple of commentaries that say preachers have a hard time on this, and I totally agree because there's so much depth of grief here, and it's hard to know how to even talk about it. Uh Jesus is being so grieved here, I don't even know what to say about it. All the things, all the weight of the sin of the world. The Father, what, what's his relationship with the Father during that time? Uh, when he becomes sin for the world. All the punishment of the sin of the world. Each one deserving death laid on him was going to be terrible. And then think of Satan and the demons in all of this. We're not told exactly what's going on, but surely they're trying to make it as, as hard as it possibly can be for him uh he's having to take all this on and how many people are going to be there to help him none he's on his own so who does he go to he goes to the father and prays remain here and keep watch with me he tells him verse 39 and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed saying my father if it is possible let this cup pass from me yet not as i will but as you will And this is an amazing thing. We really get to see into the heart and soul of our Savior Jesus Christ here. Uh, He is grieved beyond anything we can really imagine. The the amount of of sorrow he's going through in anticipation of what's about to happen is just overwhelming, almost to death. Almost to death, just from what he's going through here. And he prays an amazing thing. Father, is there any other way? Let this cup, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Is he saying that he's thinking about whether he really wants to go to the cross and and accomplish salvation for everyone? I don't think so at all. He came to do the Father's will. I don't think that was it. But in anticipation of all the things he was going to have to go through and how hard it was going to be, Father, is there any other way to accomplish this salvation? We need to save all these people. We need to fulfill the scriptures. We need to, to do all this. But is there any other way? If you have another way, now is the time. Let me know and let's do that. <clears throat> if it's possible, if it's any way that this is possible, that I don't have to take all of this hard stuff that I'm going to have to do, if there's any other way, is there another way? Yet... Not as I will, but as you will. The emotion is is really unfathomable for us. Uh, the emotion, the sorrow that he's going through here. Uh, yet in the midst of that, and the temptation that he's going through here, the temptation to not go through with it, 
even with all of that, more than we can imagine, he still puts all that aside and says, he'll still do the Father's will. Not as I will. I'm really feeling like I don't want to do this. But as you will, I will do what you will. And what a great example that is for us. Uh, Not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The same Peter who just told him minutes before, right? What did Peter say? Oh, I'm there all the way, Jesus. I'm with you and I would never desert you. And he's sleeping. He said he told them to keep watch. And they should be praying. I think that was totally implied in what he was saying. Uh, If you go back and and look at that. But uh, they should have been keeping watch and praying. uh, But they fell asleep. Keep watching and praying, he says now, that you may not enter into temptation. This night is really all about temptation, isn't it? Jesus being tempted to not go through with the Father's will. And apparently the disciples being tempted to run away and to not do the Father's will as well. I did think a lot about that. What is the temptation here? But it's not to do the Father's will. When I think of temptation, I often think of other things that tempt us to sin. But really, any time that we're tempted, aren't we really being tempted to not do the Father's will? Maybe that's what sin is, uh, not doing the Father's will. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is is weak. Jesus is pointing that out, isn't it? He already knows what's going on here. Peter, your spirit, yes, you're willing, but you need to understand that your flesh is weak. You need to go to the Father and you need to plead with him uh, for strength uh, to not fall into temptation. We should do the same thing. Good example for us. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, Your will be done. He prayed twice. Very similar. The wording's a little different. The first time was uh, take this cup all the way away if possible. Now he's saying, well, I do have to drink the cup. But uh, if it can't pass away, maybe it could be not so tough here. Uh, Maybe it could be a little different. Uh, But if I have to go through with it and drink the whole thing, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. This time it doesn't say he woke them up. (laughs) He let them sleep. Verse 44, he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Is it okay to pray the same thing a few different times? When you think of the grief and sorrow he's going through here, that's a crazy question to even ask, isn't it? Uh, You know, we're told what he prayed. It says he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. We're told those words, but if you were there seeing him pray, you know, would he be standing there going, Father, uh, you know, if I can't pass away, is that how he's praying? It's a deep emotional prayer. I imagine there's other words and groanings uh, going along with this. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says about Jesus praying, it says, Jesus offered prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who could save him from death. Loud crying and tears. Uh, And that's, I think that was probably talking about what's going on right here. Uh, 
loud cried in tears. We're, we're told the words that he prayed, but the emotion behind it is huge and uh, probably adds a lot to it. Have you ever prayed, been, uh, been going through a tough time, horrible stuff, hard things coming your way and prayed and you really didn't know what to pray? Uh, maybe have you ever prayed, God, ugh. Well, God knows exactly what that means, doesn't he? Uh, And that's a good thing. He knows that. The Holy Spirit helps interpret that. I think, Jesus, that's a lot of what he was praying here. Uh, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Also, he prayed three times here. Uh, Does that remind you of something else? During this prayer, he's probably being tempted by Satan. Well, at the beginning of his ministry, he was tempted by Satan three times. Also, and he came through that. He came through that temptation and he showed that he really was the true son of God. This similar thing, being tempted, surely Satan's part of all this, trying to get him to do anything other than fulfill these prophecies. Uh, But Jesus comes through and he does what is right. Your will be done. Verse 45, then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. They're still sleeping and resting. They shouldn't have been. They should have been praying and keeping watch. But at the same time, I'll admit, it was late at night. They had had a really long, hard day. In fact, a rough week. They were realizing that their whole idea of the kingdom coming now was probably not going to happen. And uh, there was a lot of hard stuff. Uh, and it even says in Luke, it does say they were sorrowful, uh, which was part of what led them to sleep. So I'm not going to say that it was horrible of them to be sleepy and they were probably exhausted. Have you ever been exhausted and it's it's almost impossible to stay awake? There's times when that happens. But Jesus was realizing that something greater is going on here. Uh, there was something happening here that was going to cause the salvation of the whole world. Uh, there was something that was going to happen uh, that was going to fulfill prophecies written hundreds of years beforehand. In fact, when I see the word here, behold, the hour is at hand. How much meaning is right there? The hour. How many prophecies, hundreds, hundreds of years beforehand, were talking about this moment in time? Not even just the day. But the hour, the hour it's talking about is now. Just recently, I went back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of the Bible. Is there not a prophecy there about Jesus, uh, the seed of the woman, and uh, striking a death blow to Satan? Well, that was about to come. The hour, the entire prophecies all the way back to the beginning of creation is being fulfilled now. How could you sleep at this moment? And that's what was on his mind. Was that on the disciples' mind? No, it wasn't. Uh, So they slept. They were very tired. It was hard to stay awake. But Jesus, there's just no time for sleeping. Um, So many big things were happening. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. The culmination of all these prophecies is happening, which sounds like an exciting thing, right? But what's really happening the betrayal into the hands of sinners. <laughs> wow. Betrayal into the hands of sinners. Uh, that's what was happening. And that's what's going to lead up ultimately to our salvation. 
Verse 46, get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Who is Judas? Well, specifically, what's he called here? One of the twelve. Interesting that that's put in there, right? A one of the twelve, one of the close guys that was close to Jesus. He was the one that would now betray him. Accompanied by a large crowd. Actually, I found out that the Greek word here for large crowds is a specific word that actually means one-tenth of a legion, which would be 600 soldiers. Uh, 600 soldiers. It's hard for me to even imagine how in the world are 600 soldiers coming out to do this. But during the Passover, lots of people in Jerusalem, so they put a very large amount of soldiers in Jerusalem as well to take care of all the problems that might arise. Uh, Could be 600 soldiers. Um, And on top of that, there were people from the chief priests and elders. This was a huge crowd. There could be a 1,000 people here in this crowd. I don't know. It's hard for me to really imagine that many, but it could be. It's a huge crowd, very, very large crowd. Now, he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. It's interesting here, the word kiss is there twice. In, in uh, Greek, it's two different words. The first kiss is just a normal, uh, the one that would be just a respectful kiss that someone might do to their teacher, someone they respect. At this time, this would be normal to to give a kiss to someone uh, like on the cheek. Uh, It could show respect. It could show that you're friends or something like that. The next kiss, when it says he actually kissed him, it doesn't use that word. It uses a much stronger word. Uh, That means he really kissed him for like an amount of time. In our if we were to do that here in America, we don't, you know, do the kiss thing uh, when we greet someone. But maybe it'd be similar to to Judas coming up and saying, hey, Jesus, oh, old friend, it's so good to see you and give him a big hug. Oh, I missed you. You know, it's been so good to see you. He's right here, soldiers. He's over here. Uh, and he's doing that. I mean, he's really playing this up. Judas did not go up. And it's making it clear the Greek word there. He did not go up and go, hi, Jesus, teacher. It wasn't that. It was a big, uh, you know, oh, so good to see you, Jesus. He's really playing it up. Wow, what a betrayal from one of his own people. Can you imagine, Jesus, what was going through his mind at that time? What does he say to him? What would you say to him at that point in time? (laughs) Jesus says, friend... Do what you have come for. Friend, what? He's not your friend. Maybe Jesus is just pointing out how horrible a betrayal this really is. Uh, He's playing it up just like Judas is. Oh, you're my teacher. It's so good to see you. Let's give you a big hug and a kiss. Uh, So Jesus is like, yeah, friend. Go ahead and do what you came here for. Friend. So they came and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Behold, uh, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Uh, In the book of John, that tells us this was actually Peter. 
And uh, the name of the person he cut off the ear was Malchus. Um, Verse 52, Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. This wasn't a time for physical force. Uh, There was a battle going on here, a huge battle raging at this moment, but it was not a physical battle. It wasn't a time to get the sword out. And we don't increase God's kingdom. We don't go and make converts by force, do we? Uh, It's a spiritual battle. And uh, how should they have been fighting the spiritual battle? They should have been praying. That's what Jesus said earlier. Pray. Keep watch. Uh, That's how we should be winning the battle right now. And doing the Lord's will. Not giving into temptation. Verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? That would be roughly 72,000 angels. I don't think that number was really significant. He was just saying, I could stop this whole thing right now, guys. Uh, so the point isn't to stop them right now. Uh, the point is to fulfill what God, the Father, has uh, decreed. Verse 54, how then will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? After really thinking about what Jesus went through in the garden, what he was praying to the Father, Lord, if there's any other way, Is there any other way? Have you thought of another way that I haven't thought of? Is there another way? Is there any other way? Take this cup away and let's do that. If we can accomplish salvation another way. He kind of was asking a question, wasn't he? Did he get an answer? I wonder if this is the answer. Right there, verse 54. How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? The father said, no, there's not another way. And he had already decreed that long before, hadn't he? And it was written in the prophets and the scriptures. The scriptures have to be fulfilled this way. Verse 55, at that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scripture of the prophets. So he says to the crowd, I was there in the temple. You guys could have got me at any point in time, but you didn't. You know, I wonder if that made some of them think it was a large crowd. Maybe some of them thought, hey, that's a good point. Why didn't we go uh, in there? Well, it's because the chief priests were afraid of the people. Uh, The people liked Jesus. Many of them did. And uh, they would not want them to take them away, him away. So that's where they come out at night. But all this... uh, Ultimately, who's really in charge of all this? We've been told three times who's in charge. Who is really in charge here? God. God the Father. Your will be done. All this was taking place to fulfill the scriptures. This was not a mistake. This was all planned out beforehand. It had to be done to accomplish our salvation. And what's the last phrase that we read here? All the disciples left him and fled. Exactly like he said. How many prophecies are in this passage? Uh, We're reading about prophecies from hundreds of years beforehand, and Jesus himself is making prophecies being fulfilled that very night. Prophecies are being fulfilled. What do we learn from this passage? There's a lot of things we could take away from it. Prayer is a big part of this one. Uh, Jesus prayed. When he was at his hardest time, his darkest hour, he prayed. 
And if Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, needs to pray, how much more do we need to pray? Uh, we need to pray all the time, but specifically here, when tempted, uh, he was being tempted, he prayed. He was troubled. When we're troubled, we need to pray. When we're weak and we realize our flesh is weak, we need to pray. And uh, when we're facing tough times, uh, we need to pray. God's will be done. That's what Jesus said. That was his conclusion, even though it was extremely difficult to go through what he was about to go through. Nevertheless, God's will be done. That should be our attitude as well. Even despite all our emotions, our feelings, our trying to get out of what's really difficult to do, God's will be done. Whether it's hard or easy or whatever it is, God's will be done in our life. Really, I think this passage is not about the disciples. It's really not about a lot of teaching. I think it's about Jesus Christ. <clears throat> our true hero. When everything was against him. The whole world against him. Even his closest friends desert him. One of them betray him for money. When Satan and all the demons with him surely want to stop everything from happening. Uh, when the chief priests and, and elders who should have been teaching the truth were against him and want to kill him. A crowd comes out. They want to take him away and kill him. The Roman governor and the soldiers bringing him out willing to kill him even for no reason, just because the, the Israelites say so. Uh, everybody was against him. Yet, did he give in to temptation? He did not. He came through. He did what was right. He did the will of the Father. And ultimately, that would accomplish your salvation and mine. He's the true hero in this story. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you uh, for your plan to accomplish salvation. Even from the beginning of the world, Lord, you planned that Jesus Christ would be able to save us from our sins. Thank you for Jesus uh, going through with it, even though it was extremely difficult, more difficult than we realized, Lord. Uh, we thank you that he went through with it. He did the Father's will. And that all was accomplished so that we can be saved, Lord. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be true to him, uh, to not uh, betray him or run away from him, Lord. Uh, help us to pray to you, to rely on you for our strength, and uh, to share this good news with other people too, Lord. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen.